selfish, selfish behaviour. I'm just so utterly disgusted. A small minority having a, you know, a self-indulgent tantrum. Afghanistan's youngest generation being pulled to safety. 200 days in lockdown for Melbourne as of today. That is since the pandemic began. Stop saying that, you pathetic losers, doing the right thing. Just because someone in government says it doesn't make it legal. doesn't, And it doesn't even make it moral. There's a big difference between statutory law, executive decree, and ethics. Okay, we're seeing protests, we're seeing arguments, we're seeing people complain, people support with the, the moves by our premiers and our prime ministers and our presidents around the world to give people freedoms, to take away freedoms, to do all sorts of things to our countries. Let me give you some context on why people seem to be arguing either so polarized for or against some of these things. It's, it's so much bigger than political support left and right. It's so much more than authoritarian versus libertarian. There, In fact, there is a real history here that people are missing. This explains a lot about speeding fines and cameras, about COVID directives, about uh, vaccination passport support or um, people who are against it, uh, even things like how economics work in today's world. They are all based on a shift in our entire planet away from natural law to positive law. And this really does explain a lot of the thinking, whether people realize it or not, behind why they support something so intrinsically so um, brutally and and so, so in such a deep viscerally so viscerally okay so let me explain we're going to go back and have a look at at where uh, natural law came from and then positive law and and so on and, and where we're going to go in the future but to to understand the difference between these two things you basically have two ways of thinking about law ethics justice what is right what is morality even before we start to talk about does it is it, is it an atheistic approach where it's we can sam harris approach or is it a religious ben shapiro approach and and others look at in the beginning we have we have just pure authoritarians you've got kings running around uh, and queens as well you have tyrants basically you've got the egyptian pharaohs you've got people doing whatever the hell they want and this kind of divine justice, whatever they said goes. Well, the Greek philosophers did a great thing for us. You know, the famous ones, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and so on. Uh, they came along and said, no, hang on a second. Let's, let's think this through because uh, there really is a difference between what is right being determined by what is written in the law. Because you've got kings writing laws, do pharaohs saying, do this, do that. That's positive law. Anything that you induct, that you add to, you, you make positive, you give to an argument. That's positive justice, positive law, positive, positive legal theories is anything that is created. Whereas some of these Greek philosophers started to talk about something called natural law, natural justice. Natural referring to that which pre-exists that which is there to be discovered not created not inducted not given not written and so when you think about the un declaration of human rights the charter and and, and some and around the world we have others the bill of rights in the u.s uh with the nuremberg trial all these things make allusions references to 
uh, either a, uh, a a perspective of natural justice, natural ethics versus uh, positive justice. So let, let's run through uh, the development of, of positive law, which is basically overtaking natural law. So we have these kings and queens running around doing whatever they want. Then along comes Socrates. Socrates, a Greek uh, philosopher. This is like 500 BC. He's, he's around uh, saying, hey, laws are important. You can't just run the world like the pharaohs have, whatever I say goes. Laws are really, and he makes this you know, big argument. Uh, one of the things he, he did really powerfully, um, you know, he, he doesn't just come out and say these things. He builds, they all do. They all build their arguments based on their work. So for Socrates, he, he talked a lot about the Socratic method and this idea of testing something. So what we do in discernible, instead of just... Uh, uh, finding evidence to support your argument which is fraught with danger think about it if you want to find evidence that supports your stance on vaccine passports or against them you can go and find something that's you see this all the time on on social media here's a news article that supports my stance bang the problem is there's a lot of confirmation bias in that and you ignore all the other articles that destroy your argument so socrates said no no what we need to do the socratic method is to try and break your argument and the more you try and break something, the stronger it gets if it can't be broken. So you think about the law of gravity. The only reason why the law of gravity is a law is because every time we test it, every time we try, it can't be broken. Every, you, you could argue that the, the law of gravity is really just a theory and you could do something that disproves it and you'd be right. But no one has. It holds. And so in the Socratic method, you would see this as well, we've tried to break it. We continue to break it. The more we try, the more we can't. Therefore, the more it is true. So we're uncovering a natural law. We're uncovering a natural reality, a natural state. We didn't create it. We didn't induct it. It's not a positive created piece of rule uh, that we wrote as a, as a legislator. It, it, is, it is in nature itself. It is, it is self-evident and it is self-reliant. It is what it is. It's a law. So... Socrates says we need to follow laws because they are what they are. You discover them, that's it. You can't you can't mess around with this. Plato, around the same time, another Greek philosopher, he went a step further and said, that's nice. We do need to follow laws. They are somewhat natural, I guess. However, they should be towards something good. Any laws we make should push us towards a positive future. It should be making us better as a race. Uh, and so he was quite concerned about, okay, if we're going to make laws, yes, they do need to reflect the natural state of things. We can't just arbitrarily make them up like the kings, the pharaohs of old. However, they shouldn't just reflect the nature of things. They should reflect the good parts. They should reflect the the, the positive, push us towards a positive future. And uh, not long after Plato along comes uh, Aristotle. So now we're down to about 300, 350 BC. Aristotle is is a key, he's the key, he's seen as the father of natural law. He He's seen as the father of logic, he's seen as the father of everything. And Aristotle's where it all begins for us as a, as a society. Uh, he really brought it all together. And he said, okay, listen, it's not about God, it's not about 
divine status, divine laws. And when you say natural laws, what we're really talking about is what's revealed in nature. Yes, we do need to follow the laws because they're laws. And yes, we do, they do need to make us better and they need to reflect the, the good that we want to see in humanity. But how do we do that? And so he spoke a lot about the natural laws that exist should be reflected in out the laws that we write. So any laws we write, I guess you could say that's kind of a positive law. We write it, but they should be reflecting uh, the um, the laws in, in nature to make us better humans. Again, a bit of a, um, a it's a natural a natural law perspective uh, that they should just reflect what's in nature. So it, we don't even require a divine source for this. You know, this is where we get a lot of our a lot of our uh, Sam Harris type arguments that um, ethics can be born out of what's observable, what's there in nature for us to see. And this is Aristotelian thought. Then comes Cicero. Now, finally, we leave Greece. Cicero is an Italian philosopher, Roman in Italy. And he, uh, interestingly, he really took it to the next level he he said that laws ought to be uh, reformers of vice and incentives to virtue so he really thought that laws yes natural and yes should take us towards virtue and reform us from vice but he really emphasized civil disobedience this is this is where it started really he, even though he's from the Roman Empire, he really championed civil disobedience when the legislators of Rome did not make laws consistent with what people thought. Again, this idea of the community and what people thought comes from Aristotle. He said when they make laws that don't reflect what people think and what's emergent, what's self-evident in the community, then they should be disobeyed. So he's kind of the father of protest, which is what we're seeing around the world today. It's really a Cicero, uh, a, a Cicero motivation, a, a sense of you see these people protesting. There's a whole bunch of different people, but at the core of it, the, the ones who are actually there for a deep purpose, their message is: you get, don't get to just give me my freedoms or take them away. They are naturally self-evident. They are pre-existent. Any law you make, this is a natural justice, natural law argument, and the strength to stand up to who they see as tyrants is built on Cicero's work. Okay, let's keep going. Let's go to, after that, Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas then builds, takes all of this together. He's a lot later. He takes he takes all of this together and he said, he, he's a Christian guy, so he's got a religious base, but he says, look, natural law, yep, great. Um, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, all good. And he reinserts that um, divine revealed base that back where the uh, the pharaohs of old used to co-opt. You know, they say, oh, the spirits have told me this, therefore, you know, bow before me, do whatever, chop off your head. He, he went back and said, okay, hang on. Yes, we've got natural law and, and all of this, but rather than just the Aristotle, Aristotelian thought, which is it can just be atheistic in, in nature, he's saying, no, no, it is a reflection of divine moral law. 
And now this is important because of the uh, the positive law rejections of natural law that we're going to go through soon. But Thomas Aquinas said, no, no it is, it's divine in nature and uh, laws should be natural. And and this this perspective is you can't make a law that goes against it because not only is it based on the Aristotelian notion, it's also based on, you know, a divine law and so on. So Thomas Aquinas really led us to the jurisprudence of England. Everything that the legal system in Australia and the US is based on is based on the English legal system. And they certainly have built on the principles of principles of Thomas Aquinas. There's one of the things he's this is an example of a natural law philosophy. This is a quote by Thomas Aquinas. He says, An unjust and unreasonable law is not a law but a perversion of the law. So you see he's making a reference to the law is kind of natural. It's there. It pre-exists. It doesn't matter what law we write. It's not a real law unless it reflects that law. But then you move into the uh, the takedowns of natural law, the rebuttals. So now we're going to start talking about positive law, that which is made, that which is inducted. So if we go straight to uh, Thomas Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, uh, his great fear was that if you use natural law as a perspective, natural justice, then especially with Thomas Aquinas, who's saying you know it's a it's a God revealed divine thing, people are going to tyrants are going to use this as uh, strength of their argument in in the tyrannical things that they do. He didn't want us to return into Pharaoh times. And so he said, no, law, we can never have a perspective of natural law because who, he, this is, he actually, his main argument was who gets to define what the natural law is? Because whoever can define it can determine what we do in society. Now, this is very interesting because the Thomas Hobbes uh, perspective is definitely happening here in Australia. If you consider right now the actions of, let's say, a of Gladys Berejiklian, a liberal government in New South Wales, and you consider the actions of Dan Andrews, a Labor government in Victoria, they are substantially similar, at least now with a big lockdown happening in Sydney. They're doing very much the same thing. And they're getting a similar response, except Sydney's probably 12 months behind Melbourne. In, in, in its in the way it's reeling from oh my goodness I can't believe they could do this to us yeah well welcome you know here in Melbourne we've known about this for a while and then their protests also are similar to what Melbourne was protesting 12 months ago whereas the protesting in Melbourne has changed and I think we'll also see that in Sydney after a few months anyway they're substantially similar but the rhetoric coming from government is very different if let's just accept for the sake of the argument so I can teach you a little bit about um, Thomas Hobbes for a second, except that it's tyrannical. Okay, let's just pretend it's, I know people argue, but just say they're both being tyrannical, okay? Liberal and labor. When Gladys is tyrannical, shall we say, uh, she appeals to a sense of, um, you know, this is how we get out. Um, this is what we're doing. Uh, we, we need to get through this together, blah, blah, blah. Dan Andrews appeals to moral authority. He's very good at it. He appeals to, it's just not right. He does this all the time when he's bringing on laws and whatever. It's He makes an appeal to, that's not right. That's not just. He actually makes a natural justice argument. And of course, then he goes and writes laws. You know, Victoria has a history of just fix it with a law. But he does make an appeal to, to a 
not necessarily a divine authority, but he does make an appeal to a self-evident. No words like this. No Victorian would accept blah, blah, blah. Every Victorian, blah, blah, blah. Not now, not in my state. We as a... He's always appealing to, hey, this I'm not I'm not telling you. This is just we all know it's true. He could be saying the craziest thing in the world, but he'll say, no, no, it's obvious to all of us, isn't it? And that's why people say, oh, he's gaslighting us. Well, one of the what the, one of the things they're describing is really is just this appeal to natural justice and natural law. But he's really using it in a Thomas Hobbes kind of way. This Hobbesian uh, co-opting it for his for himself, which is also what the Romans did. And Cicero pointed this out. The expansion of the Roman Empire, they often appealed to a sense of uh, the natural justice that was around at the time and 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 redefining it to um, support the Roman Empire. Anyway, after Thomas Hobbes, uh, we go to the key man, Jeremy Bentham. This explains speed cameras. This explains COVID restrictions. This is huge. So, Jeremy Bentham built on Thomas Hobbes. And Jeremy Bentham was also a big fan of positive law, saying, look, we can't allow people to appeal, like Dan Andrews, to appeal to a sense of natural justice. This is what's self-evident. Because if you do that, then people will redefine it and whatever. So he said, what we need to do is we need to make lots of laws. And we need these laws to control people, to, to uh, you know, like Cicero said, but he twisted it, I guess, but, you know, to, re- to restrain uh, restrain them and to incentivize virtue. Uh, he said, "We need to have law. We need to change policing. We need to um, fine people. Uh, we need to encourage, uh, well, not encourage, but to force certain behaviors." In fact, he went so far that he had a thought experiment called the Panopticon. So, the the ben- Jeremy Bentham Panopticon is fascinating. It is a cylindrical, circular jail, and he posited thought experiment. He posited that. If you put a single guard in the middle and you have all the cells facing the guard so that the guard can see into the cells, but then you put some kind of one-way glass, mirrored glass, so the guard can see out and can see everyone, but the, the prisoners can't see the guard looking at them. So the prisoners don't know where the guard is looking at any point in time. He said, this is great because you only need one guard you can have a thousand prisoners because the guard could be looking at anyone at any one time, but nobody knows so they'll behave. So the restraint is now not in the force of the law. It's now in the hearts of the people on the, the men, I guess, mainly in the prison because they're not sure who when they're being watched. This is the principle behind speed cameras. This is the principle behind the billboards that say anytime, anywhere, police will catch you. This is the principle behind the ads that saying every Every police car is now a mobile RBT van. You will get caught, but you don't know where or when. This is the principle behind the Australian Taxation Office and the IRS in the US. This is the principle of they can't audit uh, millions and millions and millions of tax. They can audit 5%, 2%, 1%. But the other 99% don't know. They're in the panopticon. They don't know if they're going to be one of them, one of them audited. So, you know, the theory is they do the right thing. Now, this fear-based approach is 100% how they're doing COVID uh, directives. When they say you can't touch a playground, a lot of parents are doing this. Uh, the kids are running up to the playground and the parents say, no, 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 you can't touch the playground uh, because it's illegal right now in, in Queensland and uh, Victoria and some parts of New South Wales. 
they're not af- they're not afraid of that because there is a police officer standing next to them or across the road. Mostly, there's not. You know how many parks there are in our country? Playgrounds? No, no, no. It's because you don't know where the police will be, and that's the panopticon approach. It's the Bentham approach. And this is he was a big fan of this kind of positive law is required. You do whatever it takes to keep people in check. It doesn't really matter what's there naturally. You need to have this on the citizens. Now we see this reflected. Also, in economics, you know, um, Adam Smith is like the father of modern economics. Adam Smith came up with his three laws. I wrote his three laws down here somewhere. Uh, so Adam Smith's economic laws were, number one, the law of self-interest. You know, everyone will act in their own self-interest selfishly and so for their own good. So that's why you have like incentives in the system and tax breaks and whatever. They'll always take the best option. Number two, the law of competition that... Um, you know, a vacuum forming in a market, someone else would come along and, and, and fill it, and make a better product. Uh, and number three, the law of supply and demand. We, we all know that, you know, when the law of supply and demand, there's, here's one, uh, talk is cheap because supply exceeds demand. There is three basic laws based on a natural uh, natural justice perspective, like they are there, they are reflected in the in, in the um, in the heart of people. That, that is the natural nature of humans. Whereas a positive law approach would be more along uh, some of the more modern monetary theory. It's all about what you create. Now, let me go to a legal a legal framework of natural law versus positive law. We are seeing a great shift uh, from natural law, natural justice, towards positive law, inducted justice. You may or may not be aware, but the, the entire legal system is in, in, in uh, US, UK, Australia, most of these, these sort of countries, uh, is built on English law, which is built on common law and equity. In other words, it's about precedent and it's about what is naturally revealed. It's this Aristotelian thought and this Cicero thought of the community. The way to find natural law is to measure the community and it will emerge and and evidence itself through community expectations. That's common law. That's precedent. That's this case said that, and that sets a precedent for the next case. In a lot of uh, European countries, they don't have common law. They have civil law, which is about what's written. And this is why we get the United Nations Declaration, the Charter of Human Rights, and all this kind of stuff. It's all based they make allusions in it to to natural law but it really is just a a document that says we declare and recognize these rights same as the nuremberg code um and they make they make uh these are human rights and then other people around the world say i have rights because when you hear this argument i have rights because the charter of human rights the un charter of human rights says in section 16 that i can do protest or whatever they are appealing to a positive law perspective as in I have rights because it's written somewhere by someone, by something, the UN. When you hear the same process tester saying, I have rights because I have rights. I was born with them. God gave them to me. The American thing that says we believe these truths to be self-evident. Every man is made equal in the image of God, blah, blah, blah. They are appealing to a natural justice argument. It is whether you write the law or not. So these are these two competing mindsets. And we are seeing a shift away from the natural law towards the positive law. In our common law system, which is then tempered by equity, topic for another day, we now have legislation coming in over the top and overriding it all anyway. So every time something goes wrong, 
a politician will get up and say, I'm making you law to fix it. And the people themselves ask for it. This went wrong. This is terrible. Making you law to fix it, please. Here's an example. So someone murders someone, right? They go to jail. The judge sentences them to three years. And they killed a kid. The community's outraged. How can you kill a little three-year-old and you only go to jail for three years? Unrepentant criminals should get 10, 15, 20 years life, whatever. So along comes Barry O'Farrell or whoever. He says, right, we're going to have mandatory minimum sentencing. So in other words, we're going to write a law that says if you commit this crime, you have to have a minimum of 10 years. The judge can still decide 10 to 20 years, but it has to be a minimum of 10. This is the impulse to fix things with more laws because it's quick. It's easy. It's so much quicker than cultural change, judiciary change, or anything else like that, making it an argument, just making you law, satisfy the population, done. And that's how you get this slide into more and more legislation, written laws, inducted laws, positive law, over the top of common law, natural law, discovered law. And now we are seeing this manifest in the arguments around the place for and against lockdowns, for and against uh, vaccine passports, uh, for and against the playgrounds being closed, for goodness sake. People are either arguing, arguing from a position of, hey, that's not cool because I have rights and you can't you can't take them away from me. So, so Gladys Berejiklian right now is saying if you're vaccinated, you'd be able to get a haircut, and 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 even right now, you know, they're they're about to let them go outside more if you're vaccinated or something, whatever. But she said in a statement, these individual freedoms we are going to give. So you either argue from that position of, no, no, you don't give me freedoms. I'm free or I'm not. I was built into me. I was born this way. That's the American kind of um, natural justice, natural law approach. Or you argue f- along the Berejiklian line, which is we've had to take your freedoms away, but now we'll give back freedom A, B, and C. We'll hold D, E, and F for a while, and maybe even G later on we can give you. But if you're not going to behave, this is Jeremy Bentham's panopticon, uh, Bentham style, If you're not going to behave, then we might need to take away D and then A and then C. See, if you come from a natural law perspective, that makes no sense. Your your laws, according to Aristotle and Cicero and Plato, they should be reflecting what is is naturally there. And in fact, uh, Cicero, big fan of uh, civil disobedience and protest, would say, well, you should be protesting this, which is why they are. But then if you're a fan of inductive law, positive law, like Thomas Hobbes and Jeremy Bentham, which most of us are, uh you would like you would not perhaps like it but you would you would support it you would you your mind would say well that makes sense you have to be re- most of our media is like this you have to be reasonable you can't give too many freedoms because people might take it too far uh what happens if you give freedoms too soon you know every epidemiologist is talking about it this way then what happens if people abuse it it's a bentham benthamite type approach here so when you're hearing these things in the media, when you're having these arguments, when you're seeing these discussions, let's go a little bit deeper and think about this long history we've had of natural law, or really of, of kings and queens just being tyrants, into natural law, uh, and then now the rise of positive law, and realize that people are fundamentally arguing from different perspectives, and that they just cannot understand why the other side is so stupid, because you're on different planets and the truth is the momentum is towards positive inducted law so much so 
that in the US with there's a bit of a kickback now to the woke you know you can define your own gender and so on but that's the ultimate of inducted reasoning it's not about discovering what's there it's about creating and inducting and writing writing it in creating it so at least understand the perspectives from which we are arguing but overall as you can see this is not as simple as vaccine passports or lockdown provisions or stupid protesters throwing things at horses or smart protesters standing up for the freedoms of all of us even those of you who tease them you know it's not about all of that really it's about behind it like do we do we believe in any sense of natural human rights you know the entire human rights movement that we've witnessed recently for blm and then before that which has predominantly been on the green left human rights uh, for people for the underprivileged uh for asylum seekers even for animal rights all of this really uh comes from thomas aquinas thomas aquinas the uh christian uh guy pushing natural justice you know that you want to stand up for the asylum seekers and and because john howard is a is the devil and this people overboard scandal and whatever you're making a natural justice argument he quickly wrote laws to declare the Tampa issue was legal in retrospect. What the, what the Australian government did 14 days ago shall be legal. He reached for the positive law hammer, the lever. And all of a sudden now I, I do feel like those who previously would have argued for human rights are now suddenly missing. They're not just missing on the human rights front. They've completely abandoned their principle of, of natural justice. That there is, It doesn't matter what laws you write. There is... Uh, there, there is morality and, uh, and, and a right, like the right thing to do exists, regardless of your laws. Where have those people gone? Stop saying that, you pathetic losers, doing the right thing. Just because someone in government says it doesn't make it legal, doesn't, and, and it doesn't even make it moral. There's a big difference between statutory law, executive decree, and ethics. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Just because an executive mandate, it doesn't make it legal. But these people keep saying the same thing because they have had their spines forcefully removed. Well, you know what? There's a big difference between the American spirit and the Australian spirit because the Australian spirit is apparently to lie down and roll over and just get trampled on. Pathetic. You know what? I suppose they say it's what a self-correcting problem, I guess. If the people of Australia are not willing to stand up for human rights, then they don't get them.